0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 3, 1st Peter chapter 3, where we have been parked for a while. I guess maybe parked isn't the good word to use because it means you're not going anywhere when you're parked, nor are we idling, we're just making slow progress through 1st Peter chapter 3. Progress, but it's slow progress, but I hope it's needful progress for us all. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 8, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking, that they speak, speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. We'll end our reading in verse 11 asking God to bless it for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment, please, of prayer? Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we turn to the word, and we turn to thee for help to preach the word and to hear the word, especially, Lord, to obey the word. O Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on thy servant and upon my people. Bring this word with transforming power to our souls. May we see ourselves in the mirror of the truth. And may we see Christ, who is the lily of the valley, the bright of the morning star, our great exemplar. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. I learned last week that there is an honors course being offered at the University of South Carolina Honors College, which is entitled, How to Live the Good Life, and be true to yourself. Three of the reference works the course professor is using were written by Charles Guillon, Charles Taylor, and Lionel Trilling, two philosophers and one literary critic. From an overview of the course... Uh, that they have online, it appears that critical to living the good life is being true to yourself. Or authentic, as the course description puts it. The purpose of the class is, and I quote, to examine the importance of authenticity and the related ideas of sincerity, self-expression, autonomy and creativity that's all key to living the good life I imagine that a number of the students who sign up for this course do do so not only because they are interested in taking part in the philosophical discussions that the uh, syllabus makes very clear Uh, will occur in in the classroom, but I suspect there'll be a few of them who harbor some hope of finding out how they can live the good life while being true to themselves, while being authentic, autonomous, creative, and engaging in self-expression. But unless the professor, after making use of the various philosophical writings on the subject, comes to explain to them that it's God's Word alone that can tell you how to live the good life, then the course will be an absolute failure. Absolute failure. Thankfully, the Lord has enrolled all of His people in a lifelong course that teaches them how to live the good life. Or to take the words of Peter in verse 10, how to love life and see good days. Well, the course being taught at USC is an honors course reserved only for what they call their top-tier students because it's taught by top-tier professors. The course that God teaches to his classroom of students is for Christians at any intellectual level. Any. The wonderful thing is that we have been honored by the Lord by being brought into his classroom of what I would call real higher learning. So we've, we're turning once again to this course of God entitled How to Live a Long and Good Life. You're in a classroom. The sanctuary to worship God is also to learn. And the Lord is showing us in this course how we are to go about to live and to love a long good life. So it's clear for this to take place Christ's people must do certain things and they must be certain things. Well, I never want my ministry to be defined as just a do be ministry where all of the focus is on what you and I must do and be as Christians instead of what Christ is and what He has done for us. I also never want to ignore the plain teaching. Of scripture With Paul, I want to be able to say, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, and have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. So since the Holy Spirit is clearly teaching us in these verses that if we want to see many good days where the Lord's face shines upon us, there's a very practical how-to course that we need to follow. We must find out what it is. We need to follow it. It's like homiletics class, you know. There's that part where they learn the nuts and bolts about preaching and sermon construction and sermon types and delivery and all those things, but there always has to be the practicum where they practice what they have been taught in theory. So too with us. We are hearing doctrine. It's the practice of the doctrine that leads to living the good life. We noted last week how Peter turned from how how believers are to behave within the body of Christ, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, to how Christians are to treat people in general, whether saved or lost, if they want to, to see good days. If they don't want to see good days, then blow it off. Don't pay any mind to the course. Just sit there and listen to the lecture. But don't give it a second thought. If you really want to live the good life and see good days, then there's a certain way we are to conduct ourselves among ourselves and a certain way we are to conduct ourselves toward all men, whether they're saved or they're not saved. When he said that one of the things we must do if we're going to see good days is that we must be pitiful, you remember that Peter is saying that as Christians we are to be merciful. The word pity means not only feeling pity for others who are in misery, but showing them pity, showing them mercy, and showing them kindness, all in order to alleviate the misery. Doing something about the misery. This kind of pity, this kind of mercy you recall, will only be found among Christians, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. They alone have experienced mercy from God that has shown to men in misery because of their sin. And so they alone are able to be tender hearted toward those who, like them, have suffered because of sin. Only Christians can do that. They know what that means. To have pity on someone who is suffering because their sin has brought them into suffering. The focus of this mercy, this pity we saw is on the spiritual needs of the individual, not just their temporal needs, because that's the focus of God's mercy. Yes, he causes his sun to shine upon the just and the unjust. He causes his rain to fall upon the fields of the just and the unjust. Those are all temporal issues. But above and beyond all of that, his major focus in showing his mercy is upon the spiritual needs of saints and sinners. Most important of all, the mercy which is part and parcel to living... This good life is something that must find expression. Feeling sorry for someone's troubles and trials is one thing. Doing something to help them in their troubles and trials is another thing altogether. It is this kind of mercy that we are to show to the saved and to the lost alike. If we love life and want to see good days. To the degree that we do that. That will be our experience. But there's more. Not only are we to be Christians who are merciful if we want to live the good life, but Peter says, and this is my point this morning, we must be Christians who are courteous. That's what he says, is it not? The end of verse 8. Be courteous. It comes from... Compound word from two, two Greek words. One word is friend, and the other is mind. Literally, it would read friendly-minded. Again, this is another word that only occurs here in the Greek New Testament. At least in what is known as the received text, or the majority text. The minority text, also known as the Alexandrian text, or the critical text. Westcott and Hort text has a different Greek word here. That that means be humble minded. As most of you know, I, I, I believe that the majority text is the most reliable of the Greek manuscripts, mainly because of the sheer number of them that are in existence thousands and thousands of witnesses to what the actual text reads, where in the minority text, there's really a virtual handful of them. They're older, and to think that because they're older, they're more accurate, they're closer to the original, would be folly. So I I will take that reading over the reading of the modern translations which rely upon Most of them, the minority, or the Westcott and Hort text. Both of them have the Greek word mind in the term. It's what precedes the word for mind that differs. It's either friendly minded or humble minded. The fact of the matter is that where you find one, you're going to find the other. That's the bottom line. Where you find one, you will find the other. Because where you find courteousness, you're going to find humility. And where you find humility, you're going to find courteousness. So taking the text as it appears in our authorized version, Peter says that part and parcel to a Christian living a happy, spiritually prosperous life is the need to be courteous. Well, what does that mean? I I honestly hope that you have as much difficulty with what I'm going to say as I had difficulty in studying it. I don't mean getting the meaning, the grammar. I mean what it actually is supposed to look like in practice being courteous. It's very searching, you know, being courteous. Let me point out first what it does not mean. When Peter says, be courteous, what he does not mean. The, the courtesy which Peter is calling for is something quite apart, different from artificial politeness. That's something that not only occurs in the South, but in the North, in the East, and the West, and all throughout the world, artificial politeness. It's ironic to me that the English word, Courtesy comes from a term that was used to refer to the refined manners that were expected to be used in the medieval times in the royal court. Court. Courtesy. The kind of behavior that should be exhibited when you're amongst the royals. That behavior was that was expected when with the noble class was compiled and what was called, are you ready for this? Courtesy books. You want to find out how you're supposed to act when you're among the nobility in the royal court, then you consulted the courtesy books. And they would tell you how to be polite in court. Royal court. you you surely heard the phrase court etiquette. It was all about proper decorum in the palaces of princes that was marked by elegance and sophistication. It was to stand in stark contrast to the behavior that was found among the people who lived in the the rural districts they were rustic you know that term they were rustic people who were less educated less refined which would be the environment for unpolished and rude what the 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 upper class the nobility would call rude behavior not the kind of behavior found in the royal court. But that is not what Peter has in mind when he says for Christians to be courteous. Christian courtesy is anything but artificial politeness which can be found among many who are complete strangers to Christ and to Christian courtesy. They can have very good manners and know how they are to speak and not speak, what they are to say, not say, do and not do. But they're lost. This is not Christian courtesy. The old preacher had it right when he said that in very many cases, artificial politeness is systematic hypocrisy. Artificial politeness is systematic hypocrisy hypocrisy in other words it's a politeness that is continually put on it's a mask that is worn to cover up what a person really thinks and how they really feel what you're seeing in their behavior toward you is not genuine it's put on it's an artificial sweetness but inside there's a lot of bitterness It's a fake kindness. Inside, there's no desire to be kind at all. It's phony. Systematic hypocrisy. The kind words of greeting, the how are you feeling? The oh, please excuse me? The I'm sorry? The words of adulation? praise. They're all a big lie. Indeed, the feelings being expressed in such artificial politeness may be exactly the opposite of the ones being expressed. When you are very careful about being polite in certain classes of people while showing little or no politeness and courtesy to other classes of people, you can rest assured that you are dealing with artificial politeness. It's just put on. It's turned off and it's turned on depending on who you're among. That kind of courtesy is disingenuous. It is deceitful. It's trying to get people to believe something that's not true about you. It is destructive. You cannot build any kind of trust trusted relationship when you have artificial politeness as being the rule of thumb. And also it is very diabolical. It is devilish. Because it is a lie. God desires truth in the inward parts. That's not what Peter is describing here. But what does Christian courtesy look like? What does it look like? Christian courtesy is a disposition. It is a frame of mind. It is a readiness to show respect to all with whom we come into contact. To show respect to all with whom we come into contact and to avoid any behavior that needlessly wounds their feelings and disrupts their happiness. Respect to all. And avoid behavior that needlessly wounds their feelings and disrupts their happiness. I stress the word needlessly right now because there are times when you know that what you're going to say is going to hurt their feelings, but you must say it anyway. It's needful that they hear. You have to speak the truth in love. They're not going to like it. They're going to be offended by it, more than likely. But you're not being discourteous. You're not being rude by telling them the truth that they need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what the Holy Spirit said. Faithful. God himself says that as many as he loves, he chastens and rebukes. He's not rude when he does that. When he actually he tells us things that hurt us. He says, that's a display of my love for you. So there will certainly be times when our behavior toward other people may wound them. But it will always be with an eye to help them. It'll always be with an eye to heal something that's wrong. That's not being discourteous, but but the key idea in Christian courtesy is genuine respect for all. I, I stress genuine. It's not the artificial. Case. It's genuine respect for all, united with a gracious regard for their feelings. Genuine respect gracious regard for their feelings I think you can easily see that this courtesy of which Peter is writing would be an expression of our obedience to what Christ described as the second greatest commandment love thy neighbor as thyself the fact is that we don't have to be taught to love ourselves, we come by it quite naturally we admit that there's a whole lot we need to learn about loving ourselves in the right way as God would have us to love ourselves but as far as simply loving ourselves is concerned we do that without any need at all for a commandment from God we love ourselves we protect ourselves, we take care of ourselves. But when it comes to loving others as we love ourselves, when it comes to showing respect to and regard for the feelings of others, we do need to be given commandments from God, and we have commandments from God regarding that. It was necessary. That Christ commanded us in Matthew chapter 7, Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Or as we know it, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's Christian courtesy. And it's based in the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself do to them, treat them like you would want to be treated. In whatever way you want to be treated by others, you want to be respected, you want your feelings to be regarded, so you treat them. That's in a nutshell, Christian courtesy. So How do we like to be treated? How do you like to be treated? Do you like to be treated as some lowly, inferior dog who's beneath you? Everyone's above you and everyone else is beneath you? We like to be respected. We like to be helped. We like to be encouraged. We like to be appreciated. We like to be built up, edified, and not torn down, not shred to pieces. We like that. Do you... Well... We, we, don't, we, we don't like to be hurt. I mean, who among us says to people, come on, hurt me. I want you to hurt me. Hurt me all you can, whenever you can. Well, we don't like to be saddened. We, we don't like to be discouraged by people. We don't like to be devalued belittled, disrespected? No one does. It's it's one of those no-brainers. Do you like it when people talk down to you and speak to you as if you are beneath them? Do you? Or would you rather have them speak to you as if they really valued you as a person. And they valued your input. And they valued your thoughts and your opinions. The answer is obvious. Surely, we see that Christian courtesy is really just another expression of Christian love. And that love, Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 13, doth not behave itself unseemly. The word means rude. Love does, does not behave rudely. The very opposite of being courteous. Rudeness is the opposite of courteous. It's not regarding people's feelings... It's not caring whether or not what you're going to do or what you're going to say is going to hurt them. It's not having any respect for who they are or what they are. That's being rude. Rudeness is being discourteous. It's being ill-mannered. It's being inconsiderate of other people. Failing to show respect, and failing to show regard for their feelings. It's just plunging headlong and saying whatever you feel, whatever you think, and not giving a second thought as to the effect that those words or those actions are going to have upon that individual. It's rude. Is discourteous. Love, on the other hand, and courteousness flows out from Christian love. Love is looking out for the other's happiness and their welfare. Love wants to help them and not to hinder them or to hurt them. Not to destroy, but to edify. You see, we we never, ever have justification for rude, inconsiderate, ill-mannered behavior. Nothing ever justifies that. This is not a case of just being courteous to people who are courteous to us. It's being courteous to people within the church and without the church who may be very discourteous to us. That's, that's Christian love. We have no right, ever, to be discourteous. That's a big one. It seems such a little commandment in the great scheme of things. But it's part of the whole counsel of God. And the Holy Ghost has seen fit to put this commandment right smack in the midst of those who want to live a good life. You don't want to live a good life, then go ahead and be discourteous and be rude and be ill-mannered and un, and, and inconsiderate. I don't care how you treat people. You, You won't love life and you won't see good days. Of that I can assure you. The fact is we have every region under God's heaven to be courteous to all. ...to treat everyone with respect. I mean, if he's going to tell, as we saw back in chapter 2, if he's going to tell, if Peter's going to tell them by the Holy Ghost to honor the king, to honor Nero, to give the respect that's due his position as the emperor of Rome, believe you me, we have every reason under God's heaven to respect all men. Amen. To be courteous to all. To hold everyone's feelings in high regard. As if they were our own feelings. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Therefore, I must think before I speak as much as lies within me. Walking in the power of the Spirit of God, I must seek to think before I speak. There's the rub, is it not? I'll feel safe in saying that when you have been discourteous, when you have been inconsiderate and you have just launched and said what comes to your mind is because you didn't stop to think about is this going to hurt? we were rude thoughtful considerate kind wanting to make others happy this is a disposition wanting to make others happy not to make them sad not to have behavior that would tear them down discourage them I mean this goes there are common courtesies in life you know thank you and you're welcome showing appreciation those are just common courtesies but This runs deeper. Wanting to make people happy. A gentleman. A gentleman. And a lady. I use those terms advisedly. Ladies and gentlemen. Marked by courtesy. Are really interested in making people happy. And don't want to do something that would be discourteous and make them unhappy. Wanting to help and not to hurt. To build, not tear down. To praise. And not to needlessly criticize The courteous Christian wants to please others. And that would make sense, would it not? He would like others to be pleasing to him, and so he, he wants to please others. He, he wants to please others, and actually he is easily pleased by others. Because if you're not easily pleased by others, guess what? What? When others seek to please you, you're not going to accept it, you're not going to acknowledge it, and that's going to be offensive. It's going to hurt them. (laughs) It's, It's rude. I am saying if I am hard to please, I'm being rude. If I am hard to please, I'm being rude. If I'm easy to please and I take what people do, that, great. I'm being courteous. The courteous Christian is not one who is ready and eager to criticize the fine fault. ...in order to prove any imagined superiority. Christian courtesy is ready. It's the mindset. To put the best construction on people's words or actions... Or to take the words of Paul in First Corinthians thirteen, love thinketh no evil. Courteous Christians are slow to take as well as give offense. Courteous Christians are not going to be easily offended. And they're not going to easily offend others. That flies in the face of what it means to be courteous. Having regard for others' feelings and respect for who they are. Courteous Christians don't feel that they must always speak their mind and make their opinion known because they have considered the feelings of others. They weigh those things in the balances. I like what Robert Layden, uh, Scottish Presbyterian minister from the 17th century, said about Christian courtesy. He described it as... A radical sweetness in the temper of the mind. A radical sweetness in the temper of the mind. Why radical? He did not mean extreme. That's not how he was using that word, radical sweetness. He used the term in its most basic form, fundamental. Something that is in the root of the nature. And like a plant that grows and spreads from the root, so this sweetness from the root grows and spreads into a man's words and to his actions. A fundamental, a rooted sweetness in the temper of mind. This Christian courtesy isn't simply a, a gentle and kind disposition that can be found quite naturally in people who know nothing of the grace of God there are just some people by dent of personality who are gentle this sweetness is something that's from above not down here below from the presence from the presence of Christ in the soul that's what i want you to see this this courteous mindset this this fundamental sweetness is the result of christ himself dwelling in the soul and christ was the sweetest the most courteous man that ever graced this earth study his life no one more courteous than christ Certainly Christian courtesy, like every other aspect of true religion, since I say it's, the word indicates it's respect for all, certainly it must begin at home before it is shown anywhere else. The call here from Peter, if you want to love life and see good days the call here is for courtesy respect and regard for the feeling of others to be shown between husbands and wives to the degree that husbands and wives are courteous to each other is the degree that they will enjoy this goodness, this prosperity this something of the goodness of God in their home. To the degree that they ignore it is the opening of the door for trouble. It is to be shown between parents and children. Not just children toward parents, but parents toward children. Respecting them, having a gracious regard for their feelings. And children respecting their parents and having a gracious regard for the feelings of their parents. The more that is practiced, the happier the home. The less it's practiced, the less happy the home. Where it's found in short supply, you won't end up loving life, you'll end up hating life. it is to be practiced at your employment whether toward your equals at the job your superiors or your inferiors it's always this courteousness not being inconsiderate ill-mannered rude you never have a justification for rudeness but you have every reason under God's heaven to respect them and to think about their feelings. Treat them as you'd want to be treated. So when you're done in some situation at work and you've had your say, you've spoken your peace, walk away saying, "What well, I want to be spoken to that way. What I want to be treated. You can see why I had a real difficult time with this. And I hope you had a difficult time with it as well. Because it is searching. What? No amens? It is searching. It's meant to be. I could have just blown by this. You know, had it as a, a quick point and a whole list of other points, but... That's too much here. Because I want to live the good life, and I want you to live the good life. And these are things that are either going to help us or going to hurt us. It should certainly be found in the church, courteousness, the body of Christ, Pastors and elders are to be courteous to all the flock, every last one of them. Position, a position of authority, doesn't give any of us the right to speak down to any in the congregation. Theological training doesn't give me the right to treat you as if you're ignorant and know very little. I must always seek to treat you with respect. You have a lot more brains than I have. I just had the privilege of going to seminary. You could have learned what I learned if you were a man, anyway. Anyway. I must, if I'm going to be courteous, think about your feelings. How I speak to you. What I say, what I don't say. And the members, if they're going to be courteous, have to show respect. And have regard for the feelings of their pastors and elders. That's that's the commandment. This courtesy is to be shown. And this is the bigger context of Peter. The whole thing here is about living godly before an ungodly world. That is the bigger context of everything that started back in chapter 2. This courtesy is to be shown to a lost world. I believe that eternity alone is going to reveal the extent to which a lack of Christian courtesy neutralized neutralized the influence of men who had great talents and they had great abilities, but they weren't courteous. They shot themselves in the foot. It got in the way. The rudeness, the ill mannerness, the inconsiderateness, it just got in the way. They could have done a lot more. But they didn't practice courtesy. At the same time, it will show men of far lesser talents and far lesser abilities were made very useful in advancing the work of Christ because they were courteous. The Lord just used that kindness of heart that regard they had for people's feelings and the respect they showed to others, it spoke volumes about the reality of the Christian life. So courtesy is called for by the Holy Spirit here through Peter must never be viewed as a small matter. I grant you that when it's compared to the graces of... Love and joy and and faith and faithfulness, it's a small matter. But you see, God's word addresses these small matters. Just like when Christ spoke about the Pharisees and their diligence about paying their tithe of the mint and the anise and the cumin. There were weightier matters of the law that they had ignored. And yet Jesus said, these you ought to have done the way your matters and not to have left the other undone. That little bit about paying the tithe of spices, that should have been done too. Our prayer, day in and day out, needs to include this, this petition. Lord, grow your kindness. Grow your sweetness in me. Grow it. I want to be a courteous Christian, not a rude one. God wrote his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer and seek the Lord together. Let's all pray Father in heaven, we come at the end of this searching message. We all feel the edge of the sword of the Spirit. We all acknowledge, Lord, the need we have for a growing and spreading of this sweetness of mind. We thank Thee for Thy rebukes. They're always gentle. Lord, we don't want Thy truth to be lost upon us. We don't want to forget about what we've heard. Deliver us from artificial politeness, we pray, at every turn. Save us from pretend Christianity. Grant evermore, Lord, that overwhelming desire Yes, to be true to ourselves, but to be true to Christ above all. Genuine, honest to goodness, children of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.